Well, welcome to Faith Promise this weekend. We're so glad that you're here and excited that God brought you to worship. And uh, whether you're worshiping online or at one of our other campuses uh, in East Tennessee, we're so excited that you're here. I had an incredible opportunity this week to actually be in La Follette at our Campbell campus. And so a shout out to you guys who are worshiping uh, at our Campbell County campus and all of you here at Pellissippi. Uh, it's been an incredible series as we have walked through uh, over the last several weeks, if this is your first time here, we've been and studying through the book of Colossians. And Pastor has led us, and last weekend, Pastor Matt and others, uh, just to really explore all that God has for us and through the writings that Paul gave us in the book of Colossians. And so we're going to continue on today. But before we do, I want to ask you first to do a couple of things for us at each of our locations. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you to do is this, uh, something to really uh, say that we're grateful for our pastor. You know, Pastor Chris is the only senior pastor that our church has known for the last 18 years. He's the only person who's ever led our church. And uh, this weekend actually marks 18 years uh, that he came to lead Faith Promise. And he's an incredible visionary. I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, I would say uh, he's one of the people, apart from my parents, who has had the most significant spiritual mark in my life. And so what I want to do this weekend is I want to ask you guys at every location to uh, grab your phone at some point, even during the service when you start nodding off and think, is this message going to ever get over? And, and really pull your phone out. And on Twitter, at Dr. Chris Stevens, Facebook, Dr. Chris Stevens, would you just show him some love and uh, let him know how much he means to you as a pastor and as a leader of our church and how God has blessed us? You know, most churches have a pastor for two to three years. We've had a pastor for 18 years, the same one. How incredible is that? And so, Pastor, I know you're going to be watching this weekend, and we love you and are grateful. And um, Pastor is actually in Australia, and will be headed back home. So I hope when this happens over the course of the weekend that it will truly wake him up if he's in bed or something like that. So give him a shout-out, but let him know how much he means to you. The second thing is this, uh, this over the past several months, literally, we've been working as a staff and with our leadership team to adopt our 2014-15 uh, budget. We changed our fiscal year to run July 1 uh, through June the 30th and really just believe that God wanted us to do that to help with planning and some things like that. And we adopted a budget just a few weeks ago that requires us to receive $143,000 each week. It's actually $142,837, but someone's good is here for the difference of whatever that is, you know? Um, but here's the deal. I wanna ask you guys, you know, as we don't take up an offering, uh, this weekend, I want to ask you guys to be a part of the team. I was thinking this past week and praying, and God laid it on my heart. You know, I don't know if you've been on a team before, but who wants to be on a team and not do anything? Right? If you're on a team, you want to contribute. You want to be a part. You want to get to shoot the ball or kick the ball or whatever it is for whatever part of the team that you're on. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be amazing at Faith Promise if all of us committed to be on the team? Right? If we all just said, hey, I'm going to be a contributor, I'm going to take being a part of Faith Promise as being committed to do whatever it is that God tells me to do. And so as we start this year, as we start this new budget, I really want to ask you guys that you would commit to be a part of the team. 
And I want you to ask God to tell you what that means and how you can be a part, no matter what campus you're at, that you will commit and be a part and be a contributor. And here's my prayer. I pray this every day for Faith Promise for every one of you. I pray that we will get crazy about giving. And here's how. I pray that every person in our church will be generous about the way that they give and support God's kingdom because we believe that the church truly is the hope of the world, that Christ died and gave his life for the church. And we wanna be able to accomplish everything that it is that he has for us as a ministry. And so we've prayed and we've sought the Lord, our leadership team as they uh, adopted the budget for our church has prayed and sought the Lord. And we believe that this is going to be the best year that we've ever experienced as a church at Faith Promise. So will you guys commit to that in all of our local yeah, give God a hand and you know what? Be a part, man. Get in the game and be a contributor. Now, let's, get, let's jump into the message. Last weekend, Pastor Matt did a great job as he led us into the book of Colossians in chapter 3. And he talked to us about these things that we need to get rid of. And Colossians 3 literally is a spiritual progression. It actually helps us to understand some things about our spiritual life and our walk with Christ because it's written to believers. And so we understand that every believer is not in the same place. And as Paul is writing, the first thing that he does is he actually writes in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, and he tells believers the things that are supposed to be put to death. And these first two things are what Pastor Matt talked about last week, that he's literally saying to each of us that uh, there are some things that if you allow them to be in your life, they will kill you spiritually. They are deadly to the life of a believer. And then the second thing he does, he goes on a few verses later, and Pastor Matt mentioned last week, and, and, he, and he second says that we're to rid ourselves from some other things. In verse 8, and you can go look at those, but they're the things he talked about last week, slander and rage and malice. They are the things that Satan uses to destroy the body of Christ and believers. They're the things that God uses to put us against each other. And as Matt talked, he said, hey, these are the things that God's saying, hey, you've got to get rid of these things. You've got to end the pathways that are in your life that are connecting you with those things. You've got to rid yourself of those things. And then this weekend, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, about the things that he tells us, hey, these are the things that you're supposed to practice. These are the things that you're supposed to put on. They're the way that you're supposed to live. They are to be the things that define your character as Christ followers. And the great thing about our God is this, is that God didn't call us to do these things on our own. He didn't say we should do it by ourselves, but, uh, but the farmer in the video, he mentions this verse, and it's the verse I think that should lead us into what God's called us to. And it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if any man in Christ is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, God didn't say, as Paul was writing through and as he was inspired, God wasn't saying to you, you know what? I hope you can make it. I hope you can do it. I hope you can accomplish what I've called you to. He literally is saying, as Paul is writing this, he's saying, you know what? If you are in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you're a new creation. God has given you the power to live the life that he has called you to. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit so that you can accomplish his purpose and his plan. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to help direct you and guide you so that you truly can accomplish his purpose and his plan. 
And so we see in, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 that God gives us this list through Paul's writing of what should be the character marks of the life of a believer. And so if you have your phone or your Bible or your tablet or whatever you uh, bring to church with you, if you'll open that up this weekend, I want to read just three verses because we believe it's a value for us that God gets the last word. And so what the Word of God says should be what permeates our life and what flows from us. So read with me together, Colossians uh, chapter 3, look at this, uh, beginning in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys about something and just really candid with you. I hate to shop. You know, I don't know about, I don't know if ladies, any ladies at any of our campuses hate to shop, but I got to tell you something, guys hate to shop. You know, and I go with Kim a lot of times and she likes to pick out a lot of outfits and try them on and she wants you to give feedback. You know, she'll put it on and she'll walk out and you're like, no, nah, I don't know if the shirt goes with the pants. I've learned this over the years of marriage, right? You're like, no, nah, I don't know. I like that. And she'll say, I don't know if this looks good. I mean, here's how I shop. I say, Kim. I need some new clothes. She'll say, yeah, your clothes are looking really dated. I'll say, yeah, I need some new clothes. And, and, I'll, and she'll, she'll say, yeah. And I'll say, hey, go to the store this week and buy me some clothes and bring them home and I'll try them on. And she's like, okay, so it works a little different with guys. I don't know if you guys are this way. Uh, there's some, probably some weird guys out there who like to go and shop for clothes. And if you're one of those guys, that's really odd, okay? At any campus, <laughs> that's really odd. But, you know, she'll come back and she'll have shirts or whatever and, and I'll try them on. And you know what I don't do? I don't go to her and say, does this look good on me, honey? And I'm just like, nope, don't like that one, like that one. That one doesn't feel, I don't, you know, and like that. And she gets so furious because she's like, I bought four shirts and you only want one of them. I'm like, thank you for buying one that worked. It's great, you know. And I'll put that on. I love that shirt, man. It'll be a shirt. And she's furious because she's like, you know, I don't want to go out and waste my time. It's like, it's not a waste of time. Like you knew I was high maintenance when you married me. You know what I mean? It's no big deal. Just you do that. And I don't know what I give to the relationship, but nonetheless, you know, I don't have to shop. I hate to shop. And Paul is using this word to help us understand because he literally tells us in Colossians chapter three, that we're to put on certain things. That we're to put on these things. And the Greek word, listen to this, because it's really cool. The Greek word actually means this, that we're to put them on and we're to keep putting them on. In other words, if you're to be dressed the way that God wants you to be dressed, that you are to put on these things that he talks about and you're to continue putting them on over and over and over again in your life. And here's the challenge that we face as believers the challenge we face is this, is that many of us believe that it's a single moment in time where God does this magical work and I, I'm the person he wants me to be and that's all I do for the rest of my life. I don't need God at work in my life anymore. I get saved and now I have everything of God that I need. And Paul is telling the church at Colossae, that's just not true. 
You have to walk with God every day. You have to seek God every day. You have to put on the clothes that he's called you to every day. It is not a one-time moment in growing in your relationship with him. It is a lifetime commitment of seeking after him and following after him of every day surrendering to him and to the purpose that he has for your life and to the work of the Holy Spirit within your life. And so he goes on and he says to the church, okay, put on these things. And then he gives a list of the things that we're supposed to put on. And so I want to give you this because I think there are four signs that you're dressed for success. There there are four signs that you have on or you are putting on the right spiritual clothes. And so if you're at one of our campuses, I want you to hear this really quickly because these things, I think, will really direct and guide us as believers as we follow after Christ in our relationship with him. The first one, he says, is this, compassion. And and he literally defines compassion this way. If you go back and study the word, it means sensitivity to the needs of others in spite of the harshness of the world around us. Now, here's what I want you to see. The ancient world was, was, was incredibly harsh. Think about it. When Jesus walked throughout the streets, what did he often see on the side of the road? People who were blind, people who were begging, people who had needs who had been met. And there's a reason for that as you read the New Testament. And the reason is this, that first, the first century world had no concern or whatsoever for other people. It was every man for himself. It was, hey, I needed, it's for me, it's about me, it's about taking care of me. Everything is about me. And as Jesus comes onto the scene, and as he begins to teach, and as he begins to to really lead, we see that Jesus did things in a different way. As Jesus walked along, he cared for people. He looked out and he saw people who had needs, and he stopped and he met their needs. And he began to model for the disciples something completely different. He began to the model for the disciples that they were to care for other people. He cared for his followers. Do you remember at times he would feed them when they were in a place where they had no food, right? He would feed 4,000 or 5,000 people. And the Bible shows us Jesus' heart, and it shows us insight into his emotions and his compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, when, it, when the Bible literally says this, as, as the writer Matthew is writing about what he saw in Jesus' heart, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the thing that set apart Jesus and the thing that set apart the early church from the rest of the world is this, is that the church was marked with compassion. That people were, the people of God were a people of compassion. And so often in our life, it's the same thing that God's calling us. He's saying, hey, we need to be a people of compassion. And the church adopted that. In Acts chapter 7, you can go back and read it, but they were having these uh, food lines for widows who were living in that day. And 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 there was a problem, and they went through to fix that. But the picture I want you to see is that the early church said, there's widows who have needs. We will take care of them. As Christians, as Christ followers, we should be people of compassion, right? It's not just like we talked about uh, several months ago in March, the 28 days of life where we said, hey, we're going to do these things and, and be compassion in people's life. But it's literally something that Paul says every day as a Christ follower, you should be clothed with compassion, 
that you should be a person who is compassionate, who is loving, who is caring for other people. The second thing that he says that we should put on or that we should be clothed with is kindness. And as he's writing this, uh, the word that he's literally saying is this. Listen to this. I love this. He's saying, mellowing everything in me that tends to be harsh or that might be harsh. Now, I want you to to just uh, think with me for a minute. I want you to think about your family. And I want you to think about the way that you treat the people at work and the way that you treat the people at home. Have you ever noticed how it seems to be so much easier for us to treat the people that we work with with respect and dignity? You know, if someone asks a dumb question at work, for the most part, we're like, no, 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 that's really not what I was thinking. When someone asks a dumb question at home, we say, man, why would you think that that way? What, what, what are you thinking when you would say that? Why would you, why would you think that way? And for us as believers, so often we get frustrated with the people who are closest to us, and yet the people who are the furthest from us, uh, we treat with kindness and respect. We care for them. And what Paul's writing to the church is this. There's a lot of harshness in the life of believers. And we need God to come in, and we need him to mellow that. We need God to take the rough edges off of our life and our lives. We need God to move in us and shape us and mellow us to become the people that he's called us to be. And I love this because God always, in his word, he actually models what he calls us to do. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, listen to what Paul wrote. Oh, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? He's talking about, about Jesus. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You see, most of you grew up in a church where the person yelled and screamed and told you how terrible you were and said, you know, God, he's angry with you. And most of you have at probably every campus. You're like, yep, that's it. And Paul says it wasn't that. It was the kindness of God. You realize God loves me. He he forgave me. He died on the cross for me. Yeah. It wasn't God's harshness that led you to him. It was the fact that God would die for you that led you to him. And you know, it's been a problem, and I think it's even worse today. And and I've got to tell you guys, dads, I think it's a problem for us. I think that dads today, I think men in general are normally driven by harshness not by kindness or mellowness. David knew the struggle in Psalms, in the book of Psalms in chapter 101, verse two, he said this, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. What David was saying is this, you know what? I don't wanna be known as a great God follower out in the kingdom of Israel where everyone sees me and walk through the streets and bless people and throw out money and grain and just take care of people. He said, I wanna be known first at home as a person who follows after God. And then from there, I want everyone else to know that I am a follower of God. And you see, guys, we have it backwards. We are harsh with the people that are at our home who we love, our spouses and our children. And we go to work and we're kind to the people that, candidly, they don't really matter. It's not that we shouldn't be compassionate towards them. It's not that we shouldn't care about them. But we shouldn't give the people that we go to work with our best and give our family our worst 
And Paul is saying this. He's saying, hey, listen, you should be driven by kindness. You need to allow God's Holy Spirit to come in with literally this spiritual sandpaper and you need him to take off the rough edges of who you are. You see, if your life isn't marked with kindness, then you're not putting on the things each day that God would have you to put on. Look at the next one, humility. Humility. You know, their culture didn't even have a word for this. There was not a Greek word. And so literally, as they're writing and, and trying to help people understand what the word humility means, they had to describe it as this, the opposite of arrogance or pride. There wasn't a word that they could say, this is what humility means. They had to say there, there wasn't a word because everyone was supposed to be arrogant or prideful in the first century. And he's saying as a Christ follower, you're supposed to be the opposite of that. And it literally means this. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to think poorly of yourself. It actually means that you're not supposed to exalt yourself above others. It means that you're not supposed to exalt yourself above others. Now, you know what? Let's be real. We all know people who are arrogant, right? Because we know ourselves and we know other people around us. And so at moments, we all struggle with that. And here's how I want you to, I, I can help you figure this out. No matter where you are, at any location, online, I want you to think about this. Think about the last argument you had, no matter who it was. Last argument you had, okay? Now, I want you to think to the middle of that argument, and I want you to just stop that argument right there, and I want you to think about who you thought was right and who you thought was wrong. And now you've got the definition of arrogance, okay, pride, because every person, nine out of 10, I don't know about you guys, every now and then when, uh, as pastor would say, Kim and I are having intense fellowship, you know, right in the middle of that, it'll hit me and be like, man, you are so stupid, you know, and I'll be like, Oh, you know, and then I still argue my point, whether I'm stupid or not, you know, because it's like, hey, I'm going down this road already. I'm going to finish it out, right? I'm running this race. I'm going to go all the way to the finish line. Don't be like me, okay? Yeah, don't, don't be like me. But he's saying, hey, you're supposed to be humble, right? You're supposed to put other people above yourself. In Philippians, in chapter 2, it's really amazing because... Um, the Bible tells us that Jesus was so different. Oh, goodness, listen to this. It says, uh, it, literally in Philippians 2a, you know, we didn't deserve it. But the Bible tells us that Jesus put us first. Now, listen to this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul wrote, being found in, a, in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself. This is talking about Jesus. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was God's son. Jesus walked through these streets like we talked about. He did miracles. He did wonders. He did all this kind of stuff. And at this moment that he left heaven and he came to earth, he, was, he was, had this purpose. He said, I'm providing a way for you to have a relationship with God. And as he lives this life, he's perfect for 33 years. And at the end of his life, he's placed upon a cross and as he's on that cross, you know what? I just studied and I was looking over this past couple of weeks and this is what I realized. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he never said, God, you don't know who I am. I was perfect. I did everything you told me to do. I did all the things you asked me to. You don't know who I am. Actually, it literally says that he did the opposite, that in the moment that he was on his cross, that Jesus didn't think of himself. He actually looked to the Father and he said, into your hands, I commit 
my spirit. And he breathed his last so that he could provide a relationship for you and for me to know him. You see, Jesus was really different. And he told, Paul tells us again, hey, thinking about how Jesus was, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, how do you know if you're humble? I've been thinking about this. How do you know if you're humble? I, I'm struggling to know. And the other day, uh, we were driving to the store. And I'm just going to be real transparent. We can be raw and real at Faith Promise. And as we're driving along the road, I began to notice something. On the back seat of the car sits my seven-year-old and my nine-year-old. And my son, who's back there, he's a lot like me, that poor guy. And, and all of a sudden, someone pulls out in front of somebody and says, look at that guy. What's wrong with him? Hmm. wonder where that came from. And then a few minutes later, we were moving along, and I was like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Come on, get over. You got your blinker on? Turn. He's like, yeah, Dad, what's wrong with them, you know? What are they not turning for? And it hit me. You know what the greatest test for humility is? Think about what you say and how you talk while you drive your car. Because you know what? Everybody on the road should drive the way that I think they should drive. Even if they have the faith promise sticker, I don't care. Get over. You got your blinker on. Turn. What's your problem? You know, I mean, get out of the way. You came from the far lane all the way. And then when our ki when my kids said, I'm like, oh, that... That's the way that I sound. See, you know what? I don't, I have trouble, my, right? My pride wells up and I think, well, I'm the king of the road, right? No. No, you see, I've got the same driver's license that I hope most of you have across our locations. And, and out on the road, you see, it's just not about me. We can test ourselves that way. Look at the next one, gentleness. Gentleness. This one's amazing. Under perfect control in how we relate to others is what it means. Have you guys noticed that we've lost control as a society? I mean, if you, if you just want to picture that we aren't clothed the way that God wants us to be clothed, listen, you need to, you need to go online and do an internet search for, let me read this to you because it's perfect, parents fighting at kids' sporting events. Last year, for the first year, our son played sports. I helped coach football. And I'd only heard the stories about parents being crazy, but I got to be right in the middle of it. And I was like, man, I'm going to go look online. Is this really true? And you go online, they got the top 10 fights that parents have had at Little League sporting contests. If you want to know that we're out of control, if you want to know that those who are even led by God and supposedly led by His Spirit are not putting on the things, go search parents fighting at kids' sporting events. You will find some absolutely disturbing stuff. And Paul says that gentleness, when we put on gentleness, it actually equals power because it means that we're being controlled and directed by God. And that in gentleness, that he's literally guiding us. And the Bible uses these opposites because gentleness doesn't normally seem to equate itself, right, with power or control. But the Bible does that always. The Bible does these opposites when it says, hey, if you lose your life, you'll find your life. 
If you give, you'll receive. Right? The Bible loves opposites. And what we find is this. Anyone can be out of control, but that only a person who's led by God and by his Holy Spirit can be in control. You see, the way that you can know what you've put on and what you're wearing is because you can look at your life and you can see the last one. Just really quickly, look, patience, patience. Listen to this. Patience is literally putting up with people who irritate you without retaliating against them. Isn't that great? I mean, doesn't God know everything? That's a perfect word. Putting up with people who irritate you without retaliating against them. And it's not passive. Actually, Paul wrote it another time in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He said, you should be patient with everyone. It's an active term. See, people think patience means I sit around and wait. Well, I just sit back and wait. God, what are you going to do? No, patience is an active term. It's the way that we should be and act towards others. You see, and all of us need patience, right? At some point, we need someone to be patient with us. And at other points, we need to give patience. We need to be patient with someone else. But most of us, if we're honest, right? Go back to driving. Oh, you can learn so much driving for goodness sakes. I mean, you know, but in anything, really, I'll say it until I die. There's 20 stalls at Walmart and they open three. You know, seriously. Right, we can all work on patience because everyone needs it and everyone needs to receive it. So he tells us all these things. And then he tells us there's, the, the, there's this obstacle that's in the way. Now, he tells us all these things and he says, all of this would be easy if it wasn't for one thing. People. You know, wouldn't you be more patient if it wasn't for other people? Wouldn't you be kinder if it wasn't for other people? I mean, wouldn't you be more compassionate if it wasn't for the fake people who are out there? And God knowing as Paul's writing and he's, and he's relating to us and he says, you know what? The biggest thing that we have to do is we have to remember that the, the Christian life, the life that God called us to is actually supposed to be lived out in community. It's the church. It's us living together. And so he tells them two things. Look at these. He says first that we're supposed to bear with each other. That as believers, we need to get along with each other. And the reason he wrote that in the Bible is even though it seems obvious, it's not normally practiced among believers, right? I mean, why do you think we have so many churches in the U.S. today? I mean, part of it is because we don't agree sometimes theologically and and we have different perspectives on the Bible. Then a lot of times we have a lot of churches because one group of believers gets mad at another group of believers and they become two congregations and those get mad and they split and things like that. And many of us at our campuses have been a part of that. And he says, hey, guys, you've got to remember, you've got to bear with each other. I mean, you just can't get mad every time something happens or every time something doesn't go your way. You know, the reality is this, that people will respond in their flesh towards you. And that other moments you will respond in your flesh towards them. And you will always think it's worse when people treat you poorly than when you treat other people poorly. He says, you've got to bear with each other. And then he says something that even takes it to a whole nother level because some of us can say, fine, I'll, I'll live with the people around me. You got it. I got it. Can we leave? No, no, because he doesn't stop there. He says, forgiving each other. And it actually, the word here, the Greek word implies continual 
mutual forgiveness of the problems that we encounter. And, and this is the standard that he gives. You know what? This isn't just pastors who say this, forgive like God forgave. This is God writing to us through the author Paul. And he, he literally says this, that you need to forgive as Christ forgave you. And you see, the only way that you can understand how to forgive is to take some time and reflect in your life and say, God, would you show me how much you've forgiven me? You see, because we don't think about it. We think about ourselves as so much better, but this week in preparation, as I just reflected and said, God, would you just give me a new picture and glimpse of, of truly who I am in my heart? Right in my motives, because God doesn't just look at the way I act. He looks all the way down into my mind, into my heart. He looks at my motives. And then he says, you know what? When you recognize how God has forgiven you, when you recognize what he's done in your life, okay, then forgive other people the way that God has forgiven you. You see, when you realize how much God has forgiven you, when you stop and say, God, show me how you've forgiven me, then you have to forgive. Because not to forgive would put you placing yourself above God. It would say, I don't deserve forgiveness. And none of us would say that. None of us would say, I don't deserve it, but I'll take it, God, if you'll give it. And, and Paul is saying, you have to forgive other people the way God has forgiven you. And then he ties it all up. He sums it all up and he says, the foundation of dressing for success is this. The foundation of dressing for success is this, love. Now, listen to this. You can have all of these things, but none of them are real unless they're done with love. Let me explain this to you. Uh, my sisters don't live here and I didn't get permission from my older sister. And so I'm going to tell you this story. But when we were kids, my parents did things that we say, you know, we would never do as parents. And when we were kids growing up, my older sister, I have an older sister and a younger sister. And, and my sister, her name's Amy, just in case, you know, you want to know, but not that we're going to hide or protect her. Nonetheless, Amy, uh, my parents would often have these weird moments that parents do where they would say, you know, um, Hey, give your brother or give your sister a kiss. What? Do you, as a kid, did your parents ever do that? You're like, where did that come from? Let's shake hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a guy, I got two sisters, you know, and sisters, in my opinion, love to kiss brothers. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for some reason, uh, it's just a weird, anyway. And so as we're going through this thing, my mom and dad would do that. They'd say, you know, you know, you guys, you, it'd normally be after an argument or something, you know, kiss your brother or kiss your sister and show them that you really love them. And when we would go to kiss my sister, she would stick her tongue out and we would kiss her tongue. Do you understand how evil she is? I don't know that God loves her to this day. She says she's a Christian, but forgive as the Lord forgave you, I guess. And here's what God really showed me through this very disgusting story is this. You can tell someone to do something, but without love, it's not real. Now, did my sister love me? Of course she did. She didn't want to kiss me, and I was grateful for that, but I didn't want to kiss her tongue. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. I need to talk to a counselor this week for Pete's sake. But love brings it all together, guys. You see, you can't be kind 
genuinely kind without love. He can't have compassion without love. And he, and he uses this word. He says that it binds it up. It's the thought of wearing a belt. It's this thought that you put a belt on and you cinch, cinch it up because a belt holds everything else together. And he says, love holds everything else together. You see, without love, all of the things that we talked about, they're just done in vain. But when you love other people, when you love the bride of Christ and God's body, then it gives you the chance to live in a way that's so different. And so this weekend, as we finish up, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, as you think about these things, as you think about kindness and humility and patience, as you think about gentleness, you know what, are those the things that really come out in your life? And here's the thing I want to remind you. If you're waking up every day and you're putting on the things that God's called you to, then those are the things that are going to come out because you're allowing his Holy Spirit to move and work in your life. Are you going to make mistakes? Of course. Are you not going to have those things sometimes? Of course. But you know what? The majority of your life should be marked by love and an expression of these four things. Let's pray together. Father, Right now, Holy Spirit, across each of our locations. Holy Spirit, would you convict as only you can, as you've done in my life? Would you convict the people of faith promise to put on the clothes that you've called them to? Would you tap on their heart? And right now, would you speak to them and let them know that it's not too late because you said to put these things on every day. And so I pray that they would walk away committed to put on a higher calling of their life. The one that you gave us in your word, the one that you've called us to. So would you direct us and lead us? God, would you make us different? Would you not let's let these be words that we've heard, but let them be words that we practice. Tomorrow, let us put on these virtues, these character traits, and let the world see, let our community see that faith promise is different and living for you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, across our campuses, our campus pastors are going to come forward and close. And here, I just want to uh, remind you of a couple things. One, if you've been looking to connect at Faith Promise, there's a Next Steps area that's in our lobby. And uh, we'd be glad for you to go out. You can find some people there. Also, uh, if, you, if you're looking for other things, other ways that we can help you, there's a communication card in the seat back pocket in front of you. And as always, you know what? Sometimes you come and you're struggling with something. And... Um, you need God to do something. You just need someone else to help bear the burden that you carry. And so some of our pastors will be down front and uh, they'll be there to, to pray for you and to minister to you. And so if you need that, uh, know that we're here. Next weekend, Pastor Chris will be back. He's gonna close out our series called Roots on the book of Colossians. You don't wanna miss it. Don't forget to give him a shout out. Let him know how much you love him. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.